Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you never opened a Bible or read a cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be giving obedience to God. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, beginning in the 13th verse, it says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. In this chapter, we find that King Herod sought to kill all the male children two years and younger. Herod was always worried about losing his throne. He wanted to eliminate any potential threat to it. He was afraid that Jesus would be so powerful and have so much support when he got older that he would take over the country. The church historian Josephus tells us he was so worried about losing the throne that five days after he ordered the murder of the male children, he killed his own son out of fear that he would one day take over. This is what was going on in Israel at the time when Jesus was born. This is not, however, the first time that Israel experienced something like this. Let's go to Exodus chapter 1. In Exodus chapter 1, beginning in the 16th verse, it says, And he said, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him, but if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men's children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives, and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing, and have saved the men's children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses, 
And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. We find very similar circumstances here. Pharaoh, like Herod, was worried about his throne and maintaining control of his country. Earlier in the chapter, in verse 9, speaking of Pharaoh, it says, And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. He was afraid of letting the Israelites get too powerful, because then they might overrun the Egyptians. This is why they enslaved them. By enslaving the people and killing the male children, Pharaoh thought that he would be able to keep his throne forever and maintain control. Josephus said, according to one of the Jewish ancient writings, the Targum of Jonathan, those sacred scribes, Jonas and Jambres, who are very sagacious in foretelling future events truly, told the king that about this time, there would be a child born to the Israelites who, if he were reared, would bring the Egyptian dominion low and would raise the Israelites, that he would excel all men in virtue and obtain a glory that would be remembered through all ages. This would have made Pharaoh very fearful. And if this is true, it would help explain why Pharaoh would make such an extreme decision. Pharaoh wanted no competition and wanted all the glory for himself. It's in these conditions and not long after these things transpired that Moses was born. There are many similarities that exist between Moses and Jesus. Moses was a foreshadowing and a type of Christ, the same way that Isaac was a type of Christ. Their similarities begin with the circumstances of their birth, but they also go all throughout their lives. The next similarity is that they were both protected after their birth from the evil orders that would have brought about their death. Exodus 2 and 3, referring to Moses' mother, says, And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river brink. It was from there that Pharaoh's daughter took him into Pharaoh's house and raised him herself, and by that he was spared from death. Jesus' life had a very similar occurrence to that of Moses. As we saw earlier, right before Herod gave the order to kill all male children two years and younger, Joseph was warned in a dream to flee. Matthew 2 and 14 said, When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Then later on, after Herod had died and one of his sons took over, they went to Nazareth instead of Bethlehem because Joseph was warned in another dream. These two similar accounts of Moses and Jesus give us a deeper insight into God's character. Jesus, as fully God and fully man, is different than normal men. Similarities with Jesus are only up to a certain point when it comes to comparing him to mortal men. Even with Moses, as a normal man, it's clear that God's hand and anointing was upon his life. They both had a special mission, and what we see in these two accounts is the preservation of God. Even in a light of imminent threats to their lives, even in the face of people wanting to see them destroyed, God preserved them. God preserved them because they were going to execute his will and do what he commanded them to do. The preservation of Moses led to freedom, prosperity, and blessings for all of Israel. And the preservation of Jesus led to freedom and prosperity and blessings for all the people of God. There are also other similarities between them that we need to look at. The next similarity that we have to look at 
is that they both led their people out of captivity. After the 10 plagues had taken place, Moses led the Israelites to the Red Sea. Exodus 14 and 21 says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and that waters were divided. Then Israel walked on dry ground, and the sea enclosed on the Egyptians, drowning them. Verses 30 to 31 tell us, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. The Lord used Moses because he spent time alone with God and got to know him. God used him as a vessel because he was willing to be used. Although the Lord was the one who saved Israel, he used Moses in the natural to bring the Israelites out of captivity. Jesus, likewise, had the mission of setting the captive free. Jesus said in Luke 4 and 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he have anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He have sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he set the captive free. Unlike Moses, Jesus not only sets people free in the natural, he also is the only one who can set people spiritually free. He's freed us from the captivity of our old fallen human nature and frees us from our servitude to sin. This freedom is available to any who will receive salvation from him and accept him as Lord of their lives. But many don't take it. Jesus died so that we might live forever, and he resurrected so that we can enjoy him forever throughout all of eternity. Another similarity between Moses and Jesus was their role as mediator between their people and God the Father. At the burning bush, long before the Levitical priesthood began, God chose Moses to be his vessel and mouthpiece by which he spoke to the people of Israel. This is why Moses went up to Mount Sinai alone, because it was there that he spoke to God on behalf of Israel. Moses said in Deuteronomy 5 and 5, While I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. Moses explains to us himself that he acted in the role of mediator. Even after the Levitical priesthood began with his brother Aaron, he still acted as mediator. This is evident when he went into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and when he came out, his face was radiantly glowing so much because of the glory of God that he had to wear a veil. His mediation for Israel and the subsequent mediation of all the high priests of Israel foreshadowed Jesus and his mediation. He is our mediator today, and he will be forever. Hebrews 8 and 6 says, But now have he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Jesus, through his life lived in perfection, fulfilled the law and the old covenant. It was because of this that he was able to usher in the new covenant of grace. Hebrews 9 and 15 tells us, And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Only in Christ do we find a perfect mediator. When we miss the mark and fall short of doing the will of God in our lives, 
When we come to Christ in sincere repentance, the Bible tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He mediates between us and God on our behalf. 1 Timothy 2 and 5 tells us, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He is able to fulfill this role perfectly because he is both fully God and fully man. He is both perfect and just because of his God nature and relatable and understanding because of his human nature. He has been touched with our infirmities and experienced the same things as we do, yet without sin, which is why he is our perfect high priest, which is crucial to his role as mediator. Because after Moses, it was the role of the high priest to mediate between Israel and God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 tell us, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We see here that he is both our high priest and our mediator. One major difference that existed between Moses and Jesus was that Moses, like all other men, was sinful, whereas Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life. This difference may seem obvious, and it is, but it has important and serious implications. Before, when we looked at the story of Jonas and Jambres, it said that Moses would excel all men in virtue. We have to take this with a grain of salt because it's not biblical, but Moses did live a remarkably moral and virtuous life. He was a great leader, and through the impartation of God, he was the giver of the law. But Moses was humble, and he knew enough to know that there was one greater than him coming. Acts 3 and 32 tells us, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you. Moses was prophesying about Jesus. Moses was a great man. Numbers 12 and 3 tells us, Now the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. But even though he was great, he was only the foreshadowing of the greater one. When Jesus came, he excelled all men in virtue, beyond what Moses could ever dream of, and he obtained a glory that will last forever, throughout all of eternity. He lived a perfectly virtuous and moral life. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and through his perfect, sinless life, he fulfilled the law and became the sacrifice of our sins. Understanding Jesus' life, how he lived it in perfection, how he thought, how he conducted himself, the way that he acted, reveals to us a better picture of how we're to live our own lives. Psalm 103 and 7 says, He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. God made known his ways to Moses because he spent time with him and learned of him. Today we find the same to be true. Much of the world and many Christians may have heard of the great things that God has done, and they may have even seen some of those things themselves, but they only know God's acts. The true disciples of Christ, those who spend time alone with him, learn of him, and follow him, are the ones to whom he makes known his ways. We know God's ways, and unlike Moses, we have a great advantage in that we not only know Christ, 
but we also have Christ living within us. Today, we're listening to this program as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, the day set apart to remember the birth of Christ, and not only to celebrate his birth, but also his life, which is birth made possible. This is a season of giving, and God has given us a gift today. He gave us himself. This is most commonly understood in light of his death and resurrection and his sacrifice on our behalf, but it must also be understood in that Jesus gives us his mind and he reveals to us his character. The reason why he does this is because if we allow our minds to be conformed to his and allow our character to be conformed to his, then over time, his ways will become our ways and his acts will become our acts. This doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. We never will be on this earth. All men fall short of the glory of God. But it does mean that we let the God within us shine his light through us in the way that we live our lives. He calls us to allow our minds to be renewed and conform to his. Philippians 2 and 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's only after we do this that we can get our thoughts in line with God's thoughts. This is when we can follow 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, which says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to do the same with our character. He revealed his characteristics and attributes throughout his life, and we need to not just know about them, but also to apply them to our lives. We need to show forth the same characteristics and attributes, and we need to be disciplined concerning this. When we're truly living in this way, allowing the mind and character of Christ to influence every area of our lives, we will meet opposition. The devil will try to attack us, and there will be people who hate what we're doing. Our job is to press forward and keep going no matter what. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in the 8th verse, it says, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. There will be those who oppose us, like Jannes and Jambres opposed Moses. There were many who did this to Paul. It's crucial for us to understand how we responded to the opposition, because we need to do the same. Verse 10 says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith. The key here is manner of life. Beyond just his words, Paul let the way that he lived his life be the evidence of the truth of what he preached, because he had the mind and character of Christ operating within him. He didn't just preach the word, he lived the word, and by this, he fought lies with truth. God is calling us to do the same today. He is calling us to know his will for our lives and to then walk in it. Some may say they don't know what God's will for their lives is or they aren't sure if they've gotten it right. Lester Sumrall once said, if you want to know the will of God, read the word. And if you want to do the will of God, do the word. James 1 and 22 tells us, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, 
deceiving your own selves. We have to put our faith into action. The same way that God has given us the gift of himself this Christmas, we should desire to give him a gift also. Since we're called to be doers of the word, one of the greatest gifts that we can give God this year is our obedience. 1 Samuel 15 and 22 says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in the obeying of the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. God desires our obedience, and we should desire to give it to Him. Moses and Jesus were both obedient. That's what made the difference in their lives. Moses' obedience to God was clearly manifested in his life as he followed the commands of God. Jesus, likewise, was obedient. Philippians 2 and 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We need to have obedience the same way that they did. It was their obedience that prepared them to receive the blessings of God. And when we stay faithful and obedient, we will receive the blessings of God also. Isaiah 1 and 19 promises us, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. The devil tried to cut Jesus' life short. He was trying to stop him from completing the mission that God sent him to do. He was trying to stop his obedience. But the devil didn't succeed. Today we're celebrating the life that Jesus lived and our salvation that he bought for us. Today he is our mediator and today he has set the captive free. Let's make the choice this Christmas to give God the gift of simple obedience. Let's close in prayer. Lord, this Christmas, we thank you for the life that you lived. We thank you that you lived the life that we couldn't live and that you paid the price that we couldn't pay. Lord, we thank you that you went to the cross, that you stayed faithful, and that you stayed obedient even unto death, that you took all of those sins that we committed and looked past all the wrong that we'd done, and that you took our place as a scapegoat on our behalf. And Lord, today we thank you that you've given your mind to us and implanted it within us. And Lord, we thank you that you manifested your character in the way that you lived. And we thank you that you've put those same characteristics in us as we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as he continues to sanctify us. Lord, we thank you this year for all that you've done, that you've given us the gift of yourself. And Lord, today we seek to give you a gift also, the gift of simple obedience. Give us the strength and the courage to obey your word and to do your word as we follow your will for our lives. And Lord, we ask that all those around us have their eyes open, that they see the gift of you, that you are offering to them. And Lord, we ask that you come into their heart and change their lives this year. And Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing, all that you have done, and all that you're going to do. And we give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to give God the gift of your obedience this Christmas and have Jesus as a part of your life today, All you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, 
you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all and we wish all of you and your families a very blessed and Merry Christmas. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.